Colossians chapter 1, and we will begin our reading in verse 21. As we've done for several weeks, we'll read verse 21 through 29, the remaining verses of this chapter. Of course, we won't be dealing with all of that this morning, but this is the paragraph, which is the last division of the chapter, which I want to read within its context, of course, in our study of the verses within it. So we'll begin in verse 21. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints." To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Thank you for your word and for its truth. Thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ and how you have made known unto us the mystery of the gospel, the mystery which has been hidden from ages past, from generations past, from even your people of the past, of the Old Testament, Lord. Yet you have revealed now Christ in us, the Gentiles, those who had no hope, those who had no home, those who had no relationship and no connection with you as our Father, and that now you've made that possible through our Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for this wonderful revelation of this mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you for the confidence that we have because of this provision of Jesus. And Lord, as we open the Word of God this morning and continue to examine these wonderful truths, I pray and ask that you might use the Word of God by the working of your Spirit in every heart and every life. And Lord, that you would be glorified in that which is accomplished by your word in our lives even this day. Thank you for allowing us to gather as we do this day. And we pray, Father, that in all things you might receive the glory and the honor for you alone are worthy and so rightly deserve such. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Paul declared in verse 24, which is where we really are this morning of our text, we'll read that again, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Then verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. He declares in verse 24, as we've just read, that he rejoiced in his sufferings for them, for the Colossian believers. And he said his purpose, God had intended and purpose, that even through the sufferings and through the gospel, of course, that he would fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, he, he declares, for his body's sake, Christ's body's sake, which is the church. So he gives this definition. 
I pointed to you as well um, last week. We've discovered this can only be true, that is to have joy in suffering, in the afflictions for the cause of Christ, when we suffer for the right cause. And suffering, in verse 24, he says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Uh, Suffering is directly related to personal sacrifice. Paul willingly suffered on behalf of the Colossian believers in in his labor of grounding and in rooting them in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And again, this is not just a a statement of repetition. When Paul says that he rejoiced in his sufferings for you, he says to the Colossian believers, which are part of the church, which made up the church at Colossae. And yet he says, my sufferings for you. And then he says, fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. When he makes that statement, then says further, which is the church. The body's sake and the church is repetitive in that he is explaining who the body of Christ is. It's his church. But when he begins by stating sufferings for you, he is still talking about the same church and the same body of Christ, no doubt. But he's not, again, just using repetition. He is showing them, I think, something and revealing something to us as well, that suffering for the cause of Christ is always a selfless act. And it is something that is done on the behalf of others, not for us. We may be the ones who suffer for righteousness' sake. And as I shared with you before, I believe last week, that you never suffer for your righteousness because you don't possess righteousness. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, it's you are suffering for his righteousness. And it may be his righteousness in you, but it's his righteousness, not yours. You don't have righteousness for which to suffer. So your identity with Christ is identifying in his righteousness, which is also identifying in his suffering. We can also continue to rejoice when we identify in our part of the suffering of Christ. Verse 24, Paul went on to say, And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. The verb phrase fill up refers to complete or to fulfill. And the statement which is behind uh, means that which is lacking or that which is after. So Paul is explaining that it was for him as ordained by God to pick up the sufferings of Christ which remained yet to be fulfilled as a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, here's the reality of it. Just as God had ordained Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles, just as God had chosen Paul on the road to Damascus by revealing himself to Paul and chosen him to be a a vessel, an ambassador, an apostle to the Gentiles, God also, in like manner, had chosen that Paul would suffer for the cause of Christ. In other words, there were sufferings left behind after the suffering of Christ, after the death of Christ, after the resurrection of Christ. There were still sufferings associated with Christ, which were yet to have been fulfilled, and this is Paul's lot in that. God had ordained that Paul would suffer, and not just in a general sense, but very specifically that Paul would suffer for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And the Lord had foretold of such suffering reserved for Paul at the time of his conversion. Again, in Acts 9.16 we read, For I, the Lord, will show him, Paul, how great things he, Paul, must suffer for Jesus or my name's sake. Suffering, as I mentioned last week to you as well, is a mark within the lives of those who truly follow Jesus. I think sometimes we have misunderstood this and we think of suffering as though something that is possible, something that may even be probable within the life of the believer. But I would say to you, in the life of every genuine follower of Jesus Christ, suffering is inevitable. 
And the reason it is inevitable is because that is one of the marks of one who is genuinely following the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this to be true according to 2 Timothy 3.12 when Paul wrote, Yay, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's one of the strongest statements, shall, words in Scripture. It's not maybe, possibly, probably. No, it's going to happen. If one is following after Christ, living in godliness, then suffering is going to ensue. 1 Peter 2.21, Peter states it like this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So here you have Peter saying that Jesus left us an example and has called us to his suffering. And so we find that suffering is inevitable for the life of the believer, of the genuine follower of Christ. And we're not talking about suffering for our unrighteousness. We're talking about suffering for his righteousness. So within the remaining verses of this passage, Paul further explains, verses 24 through 29, his calling of God. Paul had already established that it was for him, as we've seen, to identify in the sufferings of Christ, to pick up what was left behind for him. Not just, look, this isn't, it's not this, this collaboration of suffering that exists, and we just go and say, well, I think we'll suffer to this degree. No, there was suffering with Paul's name on it because of his identity with Jesus. And the same is true of each of us. We have suffering of which we must not only identify, but embrace as followers of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul explains in these verses this calling of God and further expounds upon that. He had already established again his identity in the sufferings of Christ as one God had purposed to take part in these sufferings of Jesus. Verse 24, again, let's read it. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is selfless. It's not about me. It's about suffering on your behalf. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, for the sake of the church, which is the body of Christ, which is the church. So once again, I remind you that Paul is claiming it was God's purpose for him to take up in suffering for the cause of righteousness for the body's sake. Just as Jesus had suffered in his physical body for his church, now his church would suffer as his body in their flesh as the church identified in the death the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, and ultimately identifying in the resurrection and glory of the Lord Jesus. Just as Paul had declared that it was part of God's call in his life to fill up the afflictions of Christ, if you notice again, he says in verse 24, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So just as Paul explained that it was God's call in his life for him to fill up the afflictions of Christ, Paul further explains in the text that there was another part of the ministry to which he had been called. Look at verse 25 now. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. These two aspects of God's call in Paul's life are very interesting. Paul was not to only fill up the afflictions of Christ which were left behind for him. Again, verse 24, who now rejoice, I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ 
in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, but he was also called to fulfill the word of God, which had been left behind for him. Verse 25, to fulfill the word of God. Now, I believe it's noteworthy that Paul mentions the afflictions of Christ, which he is to fill up prior to even mentioning his call to fulfill the word of God. The call of Paul to fulfill the word of God has to do with his active part in the gospel ministry. Paul is not saying just simply, oh, it's for me to write the scriptures, the prison epistles. It's for me to write these epistles and complete God's word as it's given to man. Though God did use Paul in that capacity as well with others. But Paul is saying, he's not talking about writing the word of God here. What Paul is referencing is that God had given a part in the sufferings of Christ, which he must fill up. He must pick up the sufferings of Christ that are for him personally to experience and to suffer. But then he mentions, also I'm to fill up the word of God, which has to do with his activity in the ministry of the gospel. And what is important to recognize here, two things. First, just as Paul had sufferings which God had ordained for him to partake in, God also had ordained for Paul to have a specific role within the ministry of the gospel. And let me say to you, every single believer in Jesus Christ has a specific, this is not some general call. We cannot view this as a God is just saying, okay, I've redeemed you, now let's see what you can do for me. I've redeemed you, so let's see how busy you'll be for me. I've redeemed you, so let's see how much you can accomplish in your lifetime. No, as a follower of Christ, it has been appointed to us to suffer for his sake, for righteousness, but just as much so it's been ordained and appointed by God that you and I have a specific role within the ministry of the gospel, which we are to submit to the Lord, the very Holy Spirit that lives within us, according to the scriptures, and fulfill. You want to talk about purpose in life? Every single believer should readily acknowledge, embrace the truth that you have a specific purpose for which you are called, for which you are redeemed. I'm afraid we live in a day in which it seems as though we just think of all this in generalizations when it's not general at all. It's very personal and specific. Again, you don't have a general relationship with Christ. Whoever says, oh, I know the Lord, we have a very general relationship. Whoever says that, what do we say? Personal. Well, if it's personal in relationship and it's personal in fellowship, then it's also personal in suffering and personal in ministry. It's not general. So you have a role, you have a part, you have a place, you have a, a purpose that God has ordained for you specifically to be in and to fulfill as the Spirit works and lives through you. And it's noteworthy, as I mentioned, that Paul mentions the afflictions of Christ which he was to fill up prior to fulfilling the Word of God, his active part in the gospel ministry. And, and these two aspects of God's call in Paul's life are inseparable. As Paul emphasized the order in which he listed them. In other words, while suffering for the gospel is not greater than the ministry of the gospel, it is true that the ministry of the gospel and suffering for the sake of the gospel are inseparably, inseparably linked and each is a part of the other. 
So when one gives himself to the ministry of the gospel as a follower of Jesus Christ, he as well gives himself to the reality of suffering for the sake of that gospel as he identifies again in the life, the ministry, and suffering of Jesus. As I've previously explained, and we've examined in Paul's explanation of the afflictions of Christ, to which he had been given a specific part in verse 24, which we've read many times already this morning, we also will examine Paul's explanation of his call to the ministry of the gospel as he outlines it in verse 25. So let's break down verse 25 now and see what Paul is actually saying. We've already seen the afflictions of Christ, which Paul says, Christ has left behind afflictions for me to pick up. That's really what Paul is saying. Did Jesus fulfill the redemptive work of God? Absolutely. There was nothing left undone. But as identifying in that completed work, there are sufferings because we live in the same world which Christ lived in. We live among the same sinful, inherently sinful nature of man which Christ dealt with and lived in that same world. Yes, different culture. Yes, different time. Same problem. With the same answer, which is the gospel. So Paul says, Whereof? I am made a minister. God's call in Paul's life was clear from the moment he met the Lord at the time of his conversion. There were no ifs, ands, buts about this. God made it very clear. I want to read several passages. We're not going to read the entire account, but in Acts chapter 9, we'll begin in verses 1 through 6, then read 10 through 16, then 20 and 20 through 22. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about believers in Christ, where, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what, will thou, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So here Paul says, Lord, what is it you want out of me? He says, Arise, go to the city. You'll find out. Verse, verse 10 of the same chapter. And there, were cert, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. For the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Here again, you see this reality. I quoted or read this verse to you a moment ago, verse 16, where the Lord says concerning Paul to Ananias, he says, I'm going to show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. There were specific afflictions for Paul to suffer. And the Lord made that known at the time of Paul's conversion to Ananias. Verses 20 through 22. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that's Paul, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is 
very Christ. Here's what you find. Paul's conversion experience clearly indicates that God had called Paul to the gospel ministry. I will, he's a chosen vessel unto me to preach my name to the Gentiles, to, those, to the Jews, he says, the kings and priests, so on and so forth. He says he's going to preach to all of these the gospel. And it included, however, the next verse, verse 16, the suffering for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I previously stated, the call of God to the gospel is a call identifying in and to the sufferings of Jesus. If you're submitted to the gospel ministry, and I say gospel ministry, I don't mean just preaching as I am this morning or teaching God's word. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a specific role, a specific place, a specific purpose to which you are called. And there are specific afflictions of Christ that you will suffer. It's just what is. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Verse 25. He says, Whereof I am made a minister. Then he says, According to the dispensation of God which is given to me. This helps us to even understand this truth all the more. The call to the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, as I mentioned, is not a general call. I don't know why we have this mindset that it is, and it seems as though by large, that exists today within the church. It's as though people think, I am personally redeemed, and yet then just generally do what you want to do in in the gospel. That's not the case. We have purpose to us given by God concerning the gospel. And so this call is no less personal than the call to redemption and the call to suffering for the gospel as one who's identified in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, one may ask, isn't this call of Paul specific to Paul? And if so, how does that relate to us? Because this isn't us, this is Paul. The answer to that question is answered in the question. Yes, this was a specific and personal call of God in Paul's life. Absolutely. So we're not given the same call as Paul had. This is talking about Paul. However, in like manner, the call to the gospel within each believer is also just as personal and specific as that was to Paul. It is necessary for us, I believe, to unpack this verse even more so to better understand the truth of how this call of God to the gospel is never a general call, but is a personal call to each believer in Jesus Christ. And the word dispensation that is used here, it means stewardship or administration. This term alone emphasizes how this call of God to the gospel is personal. Paul explains that God had given him personally stewardship of the gospel, as Paul stated in this verse. Verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me, Paul says. I think that's kind of personal. I've been given this. This has been given to me, not to us, to me. You say, well, then Paul took care of that. Yeah, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And that was Paul's role. So then the question I want to ask, just throw in here randomly, not really. 
But I want to ask is simply, so what is your role? What is your role? If you are in the body of Christ, you have a role within the gospel. You have a part in the gospel. And it's not just something random for you to pick up and go, oh, I think I like this or do it. No. Where do you fit? What is your part concerning the ministry of the gospel? Paul goes on to say, in verse 25, he's made a minister according to the dispensation of God, the stewardship and administration of God, which is given to him, which was, as he'll further proclaim in following verses, to declare, proclaim the mystery that's been hidden from ages past, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Gentiles, revealed among the Gentiles, specifically to the Gentiles. So when we think of the gospel for a moment as well, in relation to what's being stated here, people think about the mystery of the gospel, and they think of that in such a, again, a general sense of saying, oh, the Old Testament believer couldn't see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The mystery that's being spoken of here in Ephesians and Colossians and other places of Paul's letters is not talking about salvation in a general sense again it's specifically talking about the salvation of the gentiles this is the mystery of which is spoken of throughout the old testament that's what the old testament believer had a hard time seeing because time and again throughout the prophets you will find where the lord says that he's going to make a people call out a people and make a people who are not a people his people who are those people the gentiles And so Paul's role was to be an apostle to the Gentiles and to reveal the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, among the Gentiles. And then he goes on to say, for you. Again, he says for you. Just like his afflictions were for them. Now when he says for them, he's speaking of his afflictions and sufferings of Christ. It's not theirs, it's of Christ. It's Christ's sufferings. These are Christ's afflictions. But yet, it's for them. In other words, it's for their benefit. He suffers for their benefit. And he ministers the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God without question. We know that's ultimately Paul's desire. But yet, it's for their benefit. Just as Paul suffered for the Colossian believers, or for their benefit, so also the gospel ministry to which he was given stewardship personally by God was for the benefit of those to whom Paul ministered. Paul had stated concerning his afflictions, verse 24, who I, Paul, now rejoice in my sufferings for you, the Colossian believers. And then he stated in verse 25, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you. As ministers of the gospel who are biblically defined as ambassadors of Christ, the ministry to which we are called, although always personal, is never egocentric or self-focused. In other words, while we are personally invested and engaged in the gospel ministry, the focus is never to be on how we can personally benefit or gain from such ministry. Paul says, I willingly suffer for you. I willingly minister for you, for your benefit. He wasn't doing it so he could gain from the people. He was doing it for their benefit according to understanding the purpose and role God had given him and he was to be faithful steward of the gospel. In the verse in which Paul writes and states, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found 
faithful. That is in the context. Look at the passage there. The absolute immediate context of that passage is the gospel ministry. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful in the ministry of the gospel. And what are stewards? Stewards are not just people who decide, think of it like this for a moment. I'll serve wherever I can. I'll just fit in where I can. I'll do what I can. No, stewards are given responsibility. Stewards are given stewardship. And we are given stewardship of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel. So in both the sufferings of Paul and the ministry of the word by Paul, he was selflessly giving himself on behalf of those to whom he ministered. We see this most clearly demonstrated in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth when Paul explained this. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 and 15. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very, gla- I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. What a statement. Paul says, I'm not coming to try to receive something from you. I'm coming to give to you. And not only will I spend, not only will I give to you, but I will give of myself for you and to you. He says, I not only will spend for you, but I'm willing to be spent for you. And look at the selflessness here of Paul, because he says, I will gladly, very gladly spend and be spent for you, though, although, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He says, the more I give, the more I, I serve, the more I teach, the more I minister, the more I care, the less love is received. But Paul says it's not about that. Now here's a selfless act. Do you see that? He says, I will be afflicted for you. I will minister for you. Then last statement, he says in verse 25, to fulfill the word of God. What an interesting statement. Paul will further explain the meaning of this statement in the following verses of this chapter. Just as there was a lack in the fulfillment of the afflictions of Christ, meaning not that Jesus didn't fulfill the purpose of God, he perfectly did so. But because of this, and we now identify with Christ, we identify in his suffering. So there are still afflictions left behind with our name on it. As a kid, growing up, you think about something with your name on it that you like. For instance... You know, if there is something that uh, I remember years back, uh, we were having some work done at the house, and um, there were people who enjoyed the our fridge <laughs> and what was in it. And so Garrett, <laughs> he had something that was his. I don't know. He may have bought it or whatever. And he wrote on. He said, "This is Garrett's. Do not touch." <laughs> And so that had his name on it, and he liked that because it had his name on it. And there are things with our name on it that we like. As, kids, as a kid growing up, I remember rewards that were given, awards that were given. We liked our name being on an award. Hey, that's, you know, recognition, right? There's things that we like our name on, and then there's things we don't like our name on so much. For instance, uh, I never enjoyed my name being on a medicine bottle, especially the pink penicillin medicine bottle that they said tasted like bubble gum and did not taste like any bubble gum I've ever had before. 
Do you remember medicine bottles and medicine you had to take and cough medicine that you quit coughing because you hated the medicine so much? I don't think it was ever a cure to the cough. It was just like, I don't want to take this. I'll do everything I can to not cough because I hate the medicine. And so there's certain things we like our name on and certain things we don't like our name on. It's just the truth. I, don't, I would not want my name on a warrant for my arrest. Would you? But yet we don't mind our name being in the paper for, you know, recognition. When it comes to the afflictions of Christ and the ministry of the gospel, I'm afraid we tried to separate these so much from what it is to be redeemed that we think of things like this. Oh, my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we all like that, as we should, and be very grateful for that. But yet what we don't want to acknowledge is there are afflictions with my name on it. And there is ministry with my name on it. And it may be ministry that I don't always enjoy. And it may be afflictions that I obviously do not enjoy. And yet, guess what? Just like God knows me and knows my name, and, is, and my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, so also there are things for me to suffer here that are identified or appointed to me in identifying with Christ. And there's ministry that I must identify in with Christ that has my name on it. So the lack of the fulfillment of the afflictions of Christ and fulfilling the word of God does not mean that they are incomplete in that God's purpose is not complete, but rather that in the fulfillment of his purpose through time and that being uncovered and revealed that there are still afflictions and sufferings identified with Christ and ministry identified in the gospel. Paul willingly, selflessly, and gladly identified in the sufferings of Christ and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as God had called Paul to a life of identifying in the sufferings of Jesus and a life committed to the ministry of the gospel, so also every single believer has a personal part in both the sufferings and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may we not only recognize this call of God in our lives, but may we, as Paul also did, embrace the great privilege of identifying with Christ in both his sufferings and the glory of his gospel. You, if you are personally redeemed, then you personally, you have personal afflictions of identity in the sufferings of Christ. If you are personally redeemed, then you have personal responsibility in the gospel ministry. So often we ask people this question. It's been stated, it's been said, so you know, are you faithful to the gospel ministry? Are you faithful to fall after Christ? Well, let me ask you first, do you understand what your role is? Do you even understand your part? How can I be faithful in something when I don't understand or recognize that it's personal to me, that God has made this personal to me? And so we must recognize that and then submit to the Lord in this and be faithful as stewards who've been given stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says first, not he, he knows he, and this is so backwards for us. 
Paul did not first say, oh, I need to fulfill the word of God. I need to be active in the ministry. And then go, oh, and by the way, I also have sufferings. He first mentions the afflictions, which are his to bear, and then mentions fulfilling the word of God. Because it's not one or the other. They're really one and the same in many respects. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we thank you.